The Right Time with Bomani Jones is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It's that time of week where we have a guest join us. We got two guests joining us. Errol Spence will join us later in the show. But first, check him out at Channel 6. Check him out on Debatable, the best college football writer in America. Spencer Hall, what's going on? Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we're actually under 60 days for until college football which that number didn't used to feel me because i didn't used to understand time but <laughs> i'm less time blind than i used to be that happens when you get older and um i'm kind of terrified because i gotta start learning people's names bo we all gotta learn like we're all like kindergarten teachers you know like <laughs> it was nice seeing you timmy i'm immediately deleting your name and i gotta learn the rest of them you gotta learn their names and you also have to learn where they work now uh-huh uh-huh which is a new wrinkle that we have not an entirely new wrinkle, but I think in this degree, it's a new wrinkle. For instance, do you know who Kentucky's starting quarterback is? He's no new. Idea. He's a transfer. Uh, do you know who Georgia's starting quarterback is? Because it's not Stequavius Bennett anymore. I'd say I know what his name's. I, no matter who Georgia's starting quarterback is, I feel like I know what his name starts with. Is it the Brock Vandergriff guy? Probably. I, it's Carson Beck. I believe. I, also, same category. Yeah, it, which makes sense because we can take the names and reverse them, right? Carson Beck, Beck Carson, you can be a starter at Georgia because your name makes sense in either direction. Transfer quarterbacks, I think every quarterback should transfer at one point. Like, I think it's just an exchange system, right? At this point, like, you should do it because it's going to be good for your career, most likely. You'll see some new stuff. But, like, Kentucky has Devin Leary. Devin Leary was great in NC State. He really was two years ago. Had an amazing season. And now he's at Kentucky. It just doesn't... There are just some places where having a good season doesn't really guarantee that you're going to be there anymore. Like, player mobility... Player mobility upwards is now a very, very real thing. And it's going to be amazing to watch because for as many of these dudes that don't work out, we're going to watch some guys who have been in the wrong place absolutely blossom at different places. I sound a little excited, and I should be, because this is cool to me. Yeah, like, I get the transfer bug for the guys who aren't playing. The ones who are, that's where it just almost feels kind of weird to me because I'm like, look, I understand the game you boys are playing, but the long-run play is to be a three-year starter at that place, at which point you can always get a job selling cars, right? Like, for those of you who are not going to go to the NFL, you should stick around somewhere for a long time. Trust me, the long-run money is in that right there. Or is it? Like, I, I think that can be true if you say I'm a three-year starter at some place, if you're a Stetson Bennett, for instance, right? But also Stetson Bennett is the exception to the rule in a lot of ways because you get a lot of guys who come in and do one and done, and they're pretty successful. I don't think the majority of the guys, but they're spectacular, and they're really hard to overlook. And how am I going to look at a jock, a 22-year-old jock, who admittedly has something I'll never understand uh, and I think likely you'll never understand. Most of our listeners will never understand, which is this. You've been good at everything. You've been good at everything, right? And somebody says you could be the next Joe Burrow. 
am I going to believe as a competitor that I'm not the next Joe Burrow? <laughs> no, I'm going to believe it, right? Because I've been good at everything. I know how this works. Uh, I And I base this, by the way, not just on jock mentality, but you tell a 22-year-old most anything and they'll believe they could do it. Fair. And they might be right. They really might, right? Youth is an amazing drug. But they really, if you say, hey, I'm going to be that one guy who comes in, has a 5,000-yard receiving season, gets a Heisman, and goes on and gets drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. That's what they have to believe. So, yeah, business-wise, you are correct. Let's go ahead. Let's plan the car dealership model, right? Let's go ahead and become a local hero. Because thanks to NIL being a local hero, it's a little more profitable than it used to be. Yeah, it really is. Like, I, I I, don't think we've done nearly enough of going and getting some of these local ads and getting a hold of just what NIL is doing for some of these dudes. Oh, it is. You could go look. Now, I don't think these are entirely accurate, okay? But to give you a ballpark of what we're looking at, you can go to on3.com and they have NIL valuations. Now, again, these are ballpark at best. But if they're only 50% right... You're looking at a fairly nice little lucrative living that, you know, 18, 19 year old would be making TikToks about. I go on TikTok and people are like, listen, man, I'm a welder and I make $300,000 a year. <laughs> OK, there's going to be people on there who are like, that's cool. I'm a quarterback at uh, NC State and I'm making 150 k a year off some like barbecue endorsements. That's that's incredible. To return to an old point, which I think still stands up, 150 k to my 19 year old brain is retirement money. I'm looking at islands. Look, I tell people all the time, I did an internship after my first year of graduate school. I was 21 years old. I got a paycheck for one week of work. This is the summer of 2002. I got a paycheck mm -hmm. of one week of work, and it was for $1,000. And I looked at my father, and I said, and I quote, I now understand how people sell out. <laughs> All it took my 21-year-old brain was $1,000 for me to think about all the morals that in that moment I might have been willing to compromise. $1,000. That's all it took. Bo, I saved up $28,000 at the age of 21 to go travel. And uh, I remember thinking like, yeah, man, I'm not going to have to work for a year. <laughs> a year. That was what my brain thought. And, and honestly, came close but not quite there. $24,000 was the definition of security for me at the age of 21. So like what's 180, 200K for a skilled player who ends up getting transfer money and you're living what? You're living in Lexington, Kentucky? You think that's going to go ahead and drain the bank quite like staying <laughs> in, I don't know, Midtown Manhattan? No, no, you're good. You're good. So point being, this is something where you're going to see a lot of economic incentives Fueling, I think, something that I think is easier to appreciate, which is you're going to see some people in some different places doing some really cool stuff. You're going to see players coming out of, like, this is my favorite dynamic, by the way. You say, man, Pac-12's dead. Okay, Pac-12's not dead. It's just weirder than it's ever been. Yes. And um, you're going to see a lot of quarterbacks go out to the Pac-12 and suddenly be reborn because they're not getting hit in the face by a 315-pound swamp monster of a defensive lineman every other play. They're going to go out there and put up 4,000 yards. That's what Michael Penix Jr. did. That's what Bo Nix did. This is what you do. Head, <laughs> go west, young man. Go west because it's easier. You're going to be able to pad your stats. You're going to like get less mileage on the body, and you're going to look good come draft time, right? Go ahead, get in that combine. 
Nobody hits you in the combine workouts, man. You're going to look great. Yeah, I say, that's what I think every time when somebody's like, yo, these kids all want to go play in the SEC and you look at like the cluster of top 30 recruiting classes that are all in the SEC. And I'm like, fellas, you guys are doing this all wrong. They'll get you to the NFL from anywhere, anywhere, I tell you, anywhere. Go get them highway miles in them other conferences instead of them city miles that you racking up in the SEC where those guys go to the NFL with awful medicals. Awful medicals. Mm-hmm. You get what not only not only awful medicals, but when you say, "Well, I could transfer and go somewhere else, or I could stay and start in the SEC." Um, let me just go over all the starters from 2022, and you tell me where they came from. Stetson Bennett, that's a guy who yeah he started at UGA but ended up transferring from junior college. Uh, Bryce Young, that's native, but that's Alabama, and they're different. Hendon Hooker, transfer. Spencer Rattler, transfer. Jackson Dart, transfer. Jaden Daniels, transfer. You end up with so uh, Will Levis transfer. Nobody is immune from this because there is so much talent out there, and so much of it is odd cut. This is college. You're not talking about prototypical talent, unless we're talking about guys who are you know can't miss projects or guys who have demonstrated. Like even Bryce Young, we talk about Bryce Young, three year starter. Okay, ideal NFL talent. That's not what it said on this card. I have where they have him at five four. And are talking about <laughs> how short this man is, right? Nobody is prototypical talent, so everybody ends up in atypical places. And that includes the SEC. So, I, I mean, I to go back to the original point, the three-year car dealership model is what you and I as dad generation people now would say, son, I need you to invest. I need <laughs> you to think about the dealership. Think about getting that dealership. But that's not the way they're going to think. And I think in some cases they're right because you can end up in a really, really good spot for you um, that definitely wasn't where you started. Yeah, and we just can't forget how many people just got money to blow. Like every time I see one of these stories about some crazy sports collectible that's gone in an auction for like $2 million, we didn't get these stories all the time. Like I remember what a big deal it was when Wayne Gretzky and the then owner of the Los Angeles Kings and somebody else went in on that Hannes Wagner car you know they did the t451 251 whatever it's called and they did that back in the day and i forget what the price was but that took three rich people to all get together every other week i hear about somebody buying the rag that babe ruth used to keep on the nightstand at the brothel right for five million dollars or something crazy like that and it's just because oh yeah there are a lot of people with just money to blow and they are blowing it on football players they are here for it, except for your school where they say they're going to blow it on a football player and then pull it back. Oh, oh listen, you check out that 2024 class. Don't do like, yes, I'll admit mistakes made mistakes made. Go check out the 2024 <laughs> class. The money's right. We're, we're slowly me, getting our credit right. OK, have I told you why that 2024 class makes me feel so old, by the way? Boy, that, there are a lot of different reasons, but but go ahead. Tell me that, yours. Uh, last time I checked, at least Florida had a quarterback committed by the name of DJ Lagway from Willis, Texas. Uh, that is correct. That would be Derek Lagway Jr., whom I saw play, I believe, all four of his years in high school. Um, mm -hmm. As a freshman and sophomore, he was the running back behind a gentleman by the name of Michael Bishop. Yes. But it's one thing when I see the people like Blank Jr. and their dad was famous. It's another thing when it's Blank Jr. Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, I saw you play in high school. I know your dad. Yeah, like they used to call your dad Shaq because it just didn't make no sense that he was that big at 14 years old.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, uh, there are a number of ways when you could feel very, very, very old. It's when you start knowing guys who are just dudes, not stars, just dudes, and you see their kids looking big as hell and out here pulling down actual NIL money. You know, that's, it, that to me is, when you talk about money in this sport, trust your eyes. Go to a game. If you go to a game and you say, okay, well, who's, where's all this money coming from? Okay. Money's hard to understand unless you see it. And then you look and go, okay, well, who's paying for all this? Well, go look at the apartments that are next to the stadiums at SEC stadiums because there's this whole trend of like boutique condos that people will buy just for game day and they rent them out the rest of the time or they rent them out to other people for games, whatever. Those go for tremendous amounts of money and they just sit there most of the time. They're not a full-time investment and people snap them up like popcorn just just eating eating property that's their side gig that's not where they live bo that's just their little side house these are the people behind college sports they'll spend money they do not care they will take the sec's probably seventh or eighth best quarterback and ensure that his market value is somewhere around the 300 to 400 thousand dollar range that's where we start now those numbers are going to move because this is a new market but I had somebody on the radio the other day ask me, well, how do, how much do we pay for a player, right? Like if you transfer it, how much would you pay? And I'm like, well, it's a new market. So you tell me. <laughs> Whoever says the number first, that's the number. Um, but the money's real, and that's not going anywhere. It might go up, might go down. In Miami's case, that money might evaporate overnight because it turns out John Ruiz, their big booster, He's having some financial difficulties, which might say. be reflected in their recruiting rankings. You don't say. You're telling me that somebody from Miami, their money wasn't really the money that we thought it was? You know, markets are difficult, Bo, and they're <laughs> capricious. And what they are one year might not be what they are another year. I'm sure they'll get that right. Don't don't yep. don't come to me saying this is slander. I'm just saying market conditions change. Like I say, I'm ready for somebody to put together the research about the Texas A&M recruiting rankings uh, plotted against the price of crude. Oh, go ahead. I would love to see it because I'm betting that's a one for one, baby. Yes. Go ahead and take the price of oil and Texas A&M recruiting rankings. And I bet that little graph, you just lay it over. It's just the same <laughs> thing. Yeah. Let me tell you this, too. If this really does just become a money game and the University of Texas has arrived in the Southeastern Conference, everybody needs to buckle up. I'm sure they'll find a way to mess it up. They have a way of doing such things. But buckle up because ain't nobody got more money coming from more places than them jokers. Now, will they ever be able to agree on anything about who to give the money to? Entirely different discussion. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's why they're the college football Mets, baby. That payroll, <laughs> fat. Results, thin. Lean. Might change, though. I, it does feel like things are going a little better for them. Just a, just a little. I'm just saying, if you had the point where they can be sorry and Bijan can get an endorsement deal from Lamborghini, I just feel like that's what you need to tell everybody. Like, yo, you can get a Lamborghini here if you play it right. <laughs> Hello, 19-year-old man. I can put <laughs> you in a Lamborghini in Austin, Texas for the next two to three years and ensure that you make as much money as a partner at a law firm. Hey, yeah. how do you feel about that? Yeah. Like, yeah, after this year, yeah, you go ahead and transfer to Kansas State. Just leave those Lamborghini keys here, okay? <laughs> see see, see where you about to go. I, I want to see who's pushing the Lambo around the streets of Manhattan, Kansas. There's got to be, <laughs> be one. Just one recruit. They're like, just go get the one Lambo.
in Manhattan, Kansas, and please park it out in front of the football offices so they think we have one. Doesn't even matter if they let the player drive it. Just keep it out there so all the other recruits are like, oh, for real? Is that how we do it? One of my favorite things in the world is being in a small city, mid-sized city, town, whatever it is, but it's of the caliber that when you see a car like that, you can instantly start deducing whose it must be. Oh, yeah. Like, I saw a Lamborghini in Raleigh once. It was probably around 2008 or so. And I was like, oh, I have no doubt this is Mario Williams. There's nobody else tooling around here in no damn Lamborghini. Nobody else got that sign in bonus. It's either him or Pep. These are the only two options that we got on whose car this is. You can kind of do that in Atlanta. Not because Atlanta is a small town, but because there were only so many people with the money and reckless swagger to purchase certain vehicles dennis schroeder i always knew when dennis schroeder was around because dennis Schroeder was the only person who had a gold foil chrome like like not chrome but like gold chrome right like golded out audi r8 that was the guy he was the only one so like that happens in atlanta sometimes i have a question for you bo i know you're off the texas poison okay mm-hmm. you just officially that's the official yes. stance correct yes but how in are you? I have to be honest with you. I When they were beating Oklahoma like 170 to nothing this year at the Cotton Bowl, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my joy in watching Oklahoma lose was still there. But you know what happened every time they scored a touchdown? Hmm. They played that damn song. Like, oh. If I want to get in, if the chain of circumstances happens that makes getting in more attractive, they keep playing the damn song and then it song. just yeah. completely ruins everything for me because like i i managed to compartmentalize and be like hey i really enjoy Bijan, right like i can really enjoy mm-hmm. xavier worthy i can find some individuals i find this whole quinn ewers arch manning thing to be really really fascinating like how embarrassed archie manning will be if his son can't beat out a boy with that haircut you know like all of those things like i get that <laughs> But I just can't, I don't think I could do it. But I want to ask you this right fast as I got on this. I can't remember if you, you and I have talked about this before. I think I may have talked about it with Joel. Do you ever think that Archie Manning looks at his mm-hmm. slow-ass kids and is just embarrassed? People do not realize Archie yes. could go. Yes, Archie, and his sons can't Archie, run. Like, not, not a lick. Not a single one of them who ended up playing professional ball. Uh, I don't know about Cooper. Cooper might... I, I don't, maybe he's the guy who has the Jets, but he ended up retiring from football at an early age due to a neck thing. Archie played in what is one of the great lost masters tapes of college football. He played for Ole Miss in a game against Alabama. And what I want to say is 1967. Uh, I, I might have the year wrong. This is the one where Archie has the full Manziel. He throws for 330 yards. He rushes for over a hundred yards. He's all over that field. He is a one man wrecking crew. And there's like next to no footage of it, but he could go. I know nobody who has ever seen footage of Archie Manning playing for the Saints, believe me, but that's after he spent a good five to six years getting body slammed into the turf and getting his legs torn sideways by like 70s NFL rules. He could move and he's got to be so disgusted that all of his children (laughs) are just Easter Island statues, just Moai, mobile. Yo, you got to know that Archie can move because honestly, otherwise he'd be dead. Yeah, like like he had to be able to move at the NFL level even with his busted knees because, yeah, we wouldn't be talking about him. He wouldn't be able to speak if he were alive. And he's still, you know, pretty eloquent. 
Well, have you seen um, the HBO doc they did on Joe Namath a few years ago? No, I've not. Yo, before the knees went bad, Joe Namath mm-hmm. could move. Like, if Joe Namath yeah. could have moved like that in the NFL, that would have been the greatest quarterback who'd ever played, period. He had the Frank Gore thing where I believe he had, like, multiple knee issues before he ever touched the pros, period. But, yeah, he could go. A lot of those dudes end up moving slow in the NFL because they either got tore up in college back in the 60s or their first three years in the NFL were nothing short of a horror show in terms of injuries. That's, you know, Kenny Stabler. Like, I don't know if anybody knows this, but like like all those Alabama quarterbacks from the 60s, they called their own plays, which Bear let them do. He'd just say, here's three or four plays. Go pick one, right? Which is funny because that's either how much, how little Bear cared about offense, right? Like, I don't know. Y'all, y'all go punt. Y'all go punt in the defense. Well, yeah. Or that's how much he, you know, chose to trust his like athletically gifted quarterbacks. But like Stabler... Namath, all of, you know, Manning, all of those dudes could actually at one point move and not just not just relative to their segregated competition. These dudes like on a level could actually go. And I think that's one thing that maybe we take for granted. We're going to talk about like all of these new quarterbacks and how some of them are like like Carson Beck. You're going to see Carson Beck for Georgia. okay, or Brock Vandegrift or whoever ends up starting for Georgia. Um, you're going to see these guys, and you'll go, man, those guys are slow. No, you're just used to watching Stetson Bennett. All of these guys are giraffes. Like, I, like just based on what you see, the level of competition uh, in terms of speed, agility, and overall athleticism is so much higher than it once was. It's just the defensive end catching him can now run like a 3-8 and jump through the roof. Well, let me tell you something that's interesting, as you mentioned this, about, you know, Bayer and that run. And the segregation. So I'm looking at, so they had the run for 64. They won a national championship. 65, they won a national championship. 66, they went 11-0, and and they were number three. And in 67, they were number eight. And I think that's the year, the last year that Ken Stabler was there. After that, oh boy, that segregation started to be a bit problematic. After they got through that run of Nathan <clears throat> Stabler, after that, it was like, hey, boys, I think we're going to need to figure something else out. It's like with Dabo after no De- no Deshaun Watson and no Trevor Lawrence. It's like, oh, this looks like what it is. Uh, yeah. There is a visible – there's two things that really sort of uh, – I'm glad you mentioned that because there's two things that really alter the landscape in terms of – roster composition and overall speed and and agility okay in terms of roster composition it is definitely integration it's definitely when alabama goes you know what it's funny uh because i live in a community where i can't actually take my best athletes and isn't that weird because we face a team like usc that posters us makes us look slow We're not going to tolerate that for long. How racist and how competitive are we? These two things are not compatible. (laughs) The other thing that changes it is this. Strength and conditioning becomes a thing. Nebraska happens. Nebraska has a miserable couple of years, and Bob Devaney says, I'm tired of it. Let's just go ahead and lift. And and he told told the guy who was the conditioning coach, uh, Boyd Epley, said, if you get slower, we get a second slower, then I'm going to stop this. And then everyone got it faster and meaner. Right off of just like if you look at the original diet boat, they're hilarious. They're like, well, eat an extra loaf of bread every day and drink some milk and then lift these paint cans, like literally. And they're doing that. And athletes, when they respond, they just blow up that. 
And then when they get real good at the supplements and they get real good at the weightlifting, that's when you see a change. Like people don't know why Nebraska was so good for so long. It's so far ahead of, and when you leave here, you will look so much different than when you come in. You will be faster. You will be stronger. The dude across from you will be legit scared of what you do because all he's been doing is push-ups, right? Yes. Push-ups and clean living. I'm ready for football. <laughs> ah, nah, nah. After 1972, buddy, that, that, that ain't going to do it. I'm now, by the way, reading on the wiki entry for the 1970 Alabama season, and that is where they open the year with the infamous Sam Bam Cunningham game. And the thing that people uh -huh. have to remember about the infamous Sam Bam Cunningham game is that it was in Tus it was in Birmingham, it was at Legion Field, but it was a home game, yeah. right? Like, like Sam Bam Cunningham came and did that to him in front of everybody, and you know, it is what's the word apocryphal, apocryphally said is the day that Alabama integrated but there are people like oh no they already had a guy on the freshman team yeah 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 i hear you but that's the day the locals realize is what it had to be right whether or not the black dude was on the team or not there might have been some people that was salty about it not after that no sir no sir mm -hmm. i wish that game would have actually happened in 1968 so it could have been oj simpson and we could have seen if oj simpson would have simply been able to charm the entirety of the uh Alabama nation, the Alabama crowd, because apparently he had all the magic for the white folks. Like if OJ would have played in that game against Alabama, instead of saying Bell cut it half, he might have changed the entire world, man. Whole world might have been a whole different place. All thanks to OJ Simpson. But mm -hmm. instead, OJ Simpson changed the world in an entirely different uh, way. Now didn't he? <laughs> by becoming a rental car spokesman, and that's definitely what we're talking about here. But he really did change the world by being a rental car spokesman. <laughs> and he did. That is Spencer Hall. Uh, coming up, though, we were going to talk to the great Errol Spence about his fight in Las Vegas, July 29th. Check it out. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. All right, July 29th, T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, the biggest boxing match in years. Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. And joining us now on the right time is Errol Spence. What's going on, man? Uh, not much, man. Just cool and relaxed and getting ready for my, my big fight. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like getting ready for a fight like this can involve so much cooling. Like, this seems like something that would be kind of consuming. Uh, nah, man, nah, man. That's, that's just my whole, that's basically my whole mentality and aura, man. I just, you know, cool, relaxed, calm, even before the fight. Like, 
I'm just trying to relax because my whole motto is, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Whatever happens, it's going to happen regardless. Yeah, and I remember the first time I was about 15 years ago now, the first time I was around a boxing camp, I was covering a dude who was getting ready to fight Klitschko, and I went to the camp. And that, I think, for me was like the first time that I got the full understanding of like how intense the training for boxing is. Like, So for you to try to give some indication to people about the physical demands of getting ready for a fight like this, how would you describe it? Oh, uh, you basically just stressing your body out, really, man. You just you know, working hard, trying not to overwork yourself. And uh, that's why you, you got to have a, a great, you know, corner and people around you too to stop you from just overworking and training too hard and, you know, and knowing when enough enough because you're just trying to be prepared for everything that could happen in the fight. So you just running nonstop five, six, I run like five, six miles a day, strength conditioning, uh, being in the gym doing bag work for like 30 minutes, uh, minutes for like 30 minutes. So it, a lot of work goes to it. And uh, watching what you eat, um, drinking number water, uh, coconut water. So every, it's just everything that comes comes with it, spawn partners and, and working out and just being 100% just focused on the task at hand. Now, you are originally from DeSoto, Texas, outside of Dallas, and you play high school football with Von Miller. But the thing that jumps out to me about that is you fight at about 140. I'm trying to think about you playing high school football in Dallas at that size. That's some big boys out there. There's not weight classes over there. Oh, uh, nah, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big guy, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I might fight at 147, but that ain't what I'm weighing when I'm not – when off season, that's not what I'm wearing at all. <laughs> like, how far do you have to get down to get to fighting weight? Oh, uh, I like I I can walk around. I walk around probably one seventy six, one seventy five. So you know, and I got to get down there. So if I wasn't if I wasn't boxing, I'd probably be in the one eighties. No, I got you. Now I want to talk to you about this fight. Um, with Terrence Crawford on July 29th. In 2022, you said that this was the fight that you want. It took another year to come together. You've said that for about five years, this has been the fight that you've wanted. What is it about this fight that you've wanted for that long? Um, I think it's just, this is an a important fight in boxing. This is the best versus the best. He's the best 147-pounder. I'm the best 147-pounder. And we're fighting each other for all the marbles. So I thought this is a um, historically, you know, historic fight right here. And everybody wants to see this fight. This is, you know, on everybody. This is probably the fight that everybody want to see. Well, this is the fight that everybody wants to see. You know, boxing fans, non-boxing fans. Everybody wants this fight. Everybody talking about this fight. When, I, when I'm walking or when I'm at the store or anywhere, you know, this is the fight that people want because they ask me about when I'm going to fight Terrence Crawford or what's going on with me and Terrence Crawford. So I feel like this is in high demand. And so I want to give the fans what they want and give everybody what they want and satisfy everybody and satisfy myself too. So I'm just giving people what they want. When you say satisfy yourself, what do you mean? Um, Basically what I want. Um, This is definitely the fight that I wanted just because this for all the Marvels and this what everybody wants. It's like when Sugar Ray Leonard fought Tommy Hearns or Marvin Hagler. 
that's the fight that everybody was, you know, basically that that's the fight that they wanted. So for me, I'm about giving the fans what they want. This is the fight that they want. I feel like it's be huge. This is gonna have all the stars at the fight. This is gonna have everybody on the edge of their seat, you know, before the bell ring just for this fight here. So I, I feel like I give everybody what they want and give myself the gratitude of fighting a great fighter like Terrence Property and getting these the history books and uh, beating one of the best fighters in the world. Well, I think one of the frustrations for fans, and I imagine the frustration for you, is how long a fight like this can take to come together. So what took so long in this case to make this fight happen, given that you wanted it and Crawford certainly seemed to want it? Uh, I like you. You think it, uh, it took to happen? Well, I think from what I've read, it said, it, I mean, you mentioned this at first in 2022. I've heard people say things as far back as five years in trying to make this happen. I mean, five years ago, we weren't going to get, five years ago, we weren't going to get the money that we get now for the fight. So for people to say they wanted to have him five years ago, they're just selfish thinking on their behalf just because he only had one belt. Five years ago, he didn't fight Sean Porter. Five years ago, he didn't fight. Um, basically, he wasn't fighting anybody. Five years ago, he was just a good fighter, and the exact same thing with me. Five years ago, I didn't fight Sean Porter. I didn't fight Danny Garcia. I just had one build. So, for people to say that, that's just been two good fighters fighting each other. I feel like at this time. You got two great fighters fighting each other. They're fighting for the undisputed. And uh, we're just fighting for all the marbles. And we're basically fighting to be the best fighter. To fight, whoever wins this fight, that's the best fighter in boxing. Five years ago, we would have fought. They wouldn't have said that's the best fighter in boxing. So I think for people to say they wanted it five years ago, they just, you know, they just selfish thinking on, on their behalf. I can understand that. Now, Sean Porter is a common opponent that both of you have. And it was interesting reading what he had to say about the difference between fighting you two. And this is a quote from him. He said, Errol was prepared to beat me at my game and Terrence was prepared to beat me at his game. Like, do you think that that's a fair comparison between the way the two of you fought him? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it. I think it, yeah. Yeah, for sure, because I came, I came in there with I mean, I just came in there uh, trying to fight him, basically. <laughs> and uh, that's that Sean Porter game is, is the fight. And I basically came in there, you know, just trying to go at it with a guy that's known for just, you know, known for just fighting. Terrence Moore was, you know, trying to box and, you know, and then he'll get you in the later rounds instead of in the early rounds. So Terrence Crawford stuck to his – his game playing in his guns and for me i was just like yeah we're gonna fight <laughs> well one thing that's interesting you and crawford did an interview together i think it was just a couple of days ago where you were rating each other's skills and you seem to have a very high respect for him but every time they asked you to rate something of his from one to ten you said that his fight resume was a point five crawford's average on all the things for you was a seven yours back for him was a 5.4. Like, how much of that is just kind of the fun of promoting the fight, and how much of that is just really how you see it? Uh, Some of it is how I see it, and some of it is just fun <laughs> promoting the fight. You know, but some of it, ha ha I mean, just like the the opponents, I mean, I, I don't rate his opponent 
high, but I rate his his skill level and talent super high, but not his opponent level. Now, with his skills that you rate high, like what do you think is the biggest thing that you're gonna have to deal with from him? Um, just his talent, uh, his feet and his feet and and um, just you know how he throw punches, but that's about it. When you say his feet and how he throws punches, what do you mean by that? Uh, just you know he he got quick feet sometimes. You know when he wants to get on his toes and move. And um, he throws his punches like kind of wide and and looping looping shots too. Yeah, I would feel like though, like the wide and looping shots seem to be the ones though that would give you a better chance to counter off of, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Now you are from Dallas. Um, I'm from Houston, so you know we got the little Texas thing going here. How cool was it for you coming out for a fight and having Big Tuck lead you out to the <laughs> ring? Uh, yeah, that was. I mean, that was dope because I grew up just watch. I grew up watching, listening to Big Tug, DSR, you know all that. So that was a dope experience for me because I feel like that's more of a, a Dallas anthem. Big, Tug, especially big, mostly big. All Big Tug songs is like a Dallas anthem. Like if you from Dallas, you know Big Tug, you know DSR, like. They basically like the staple of Dallas, you know, even even now. So it was dope because basically everybody was just singing the song and rapping, and you know, and everybody got live as soon as, beat, as soon as they heard the beat drop. So uh, that was dope. Just doing it for the city and, and most of my fights, you know, I try to get a, a Dallas artist to uh, walk me out. Now, for you, when you think about all the things like since you've been doing this. What's the coolest thing to happen to you as a result of being Errol Spence, like, championship boxer? Uh, my checks keep getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> <laughs> That's the coolest thing for me, man. Checks keep getting bigger and bigger and just, you know, like when I, uh, just certain times when I just go to my mama's house and uh, give her a check, Give us some money, give my dad some money, and just, you know, just seeing the, especially my mom, just seeing how happy she, how happy she is when I get when I give her money, especially the first time I ever gave her some money. So that's the most dope moment for me. There's got to be some moments and experiences, though, right? Like, yo, I'm in this room, I'm in this place, because this is who I've become. Oh, that don't matter. Me giving my mama money is a dope experience for me. Everything else don't. That don't me being a dope place with a whole bunch of rich, rich folks. That don't mean nothing to me. They there because what I what I done and what I accomplished. My mind gonna be there regardless. So that's the dopest moment for me. Me get my mama money. Now I can see that. Now something else I saw that was interesting is that you made some statements last week about the sanctioning bodies in boxing and that the fighters pay these fees for title fights, but nobody really seems to know where the money goes. They asked the sanctioning bodies about it. They didn't really say too much about it. Why did you feel it was important for you to say something about that? I mean, because we, we need structure in boxing. NFL has structure. Basketball has structure. Soccer, everybody got structure, but said, said boxing. Boxing is like the wild, wild west. You know, it's lawless. If you got money, influence, especially you got influence, you can make anything happen. So I think we need to have a little bit more structure 
and boxing is just nowhere. A lot of nowhere still going. Why is this? Knowing just why for things, you know, why is this? Why is that? Instead of just instead of just doing it, like we need to give the boxes. We don't want making the money. We need to give them some say so at least, you know, tell them what happened. But I feel like it's not gonna happen to you know boxers can get to come together. But boxers sit up like that where boxers don't come together and they don't unite because we kind of split apart. Well, we are split apart. So everybody's not the top guys in the sport are not gonna come together. But I think it's not even just the fact that they don't unite, but you also very rarely hear anybody of your stature even say something about it. Like, is that part surprised you would disappoint you? Uh, yeah, a little bit. But, I mean, I can see why, but, yeah, they don't. I mean, a lot of guys wait till they retire or wait till they have the game. You don't hear somebody talk about it when they're at the top. Like, I think Jamil just spoke out about it, too. Jamil Charlo just said something about it. And you now you're hearing a couple guys say something about it, but, you know, we need guys to talk about it who's in the game and got some skin in the game and at the top level talk about it more than more than guys who's already retired. I mean, it's dope because they definitely have wisdom. They know what's going on in the sport because they've been through there. But, you know, they, they need to talk to us and we need the young guys or the guys that's at the top of the sport to talk about it more than anything. So one thing I thought was cool in doing the research on this is that some of your earliest memories of being in a Jamaican barbershop, your pops is from Jamaica, and watching Lennox Lewis fights uh, on the cable box. Like, how does it feel for you now being the dude that people are watching fight in the barbershop? Uh, nah, that's a dope. I mean, that's a dope feeling. Because at the time, I wasn't boxing at all, so I wasn't thinking about me, you know, hopefully being there one day, so... Just genuinely just watching boxing with my dad and other people and just seeing, you know, just seeing Lennon Lewis. I remember seeing Lennon Lewis versus Mike Tyson when they had, like, all the cops lined up, you know, in the ring so Mike Tyson wouldn't attack Lennon Lewis and just seeing how big of a fight that was and, you know, just the magnitude of it. And now I'm going to fight of that magnitude. It's just a great feeling. And, um, you know, but like me watching that and, and learning from that and just seeing those type of things and just seeing how excited and genuinely happy just the guys in the barbershop was and it was, you know, side bedding, you know, and, and laughing and, you know, arguing with each other, you know, and just knowing that it's going to be people just like that doing the same thing when me and Terrence Crowder fight. You know, it's a dope feeling. Well, what made you want to get into boxing? Because I remember when I was a kid, I didn't even want to do karate or nothing like that because them dudes would get to hit me back. And that was never uh, an appealing proposition for me. Like, what made you want to get into this? Um, My dad. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, oh, my dad. I mean, I didn't want to box because I felt like I already knew how to fight. So <laughs> I didn't want to box. But he seen me outside playing with, you know, basically in the gloves and slap boxing with my friends and, uh, getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of trouble, and um, basically it was summertime. I ain't have nothing to do. I had a lot of idle time on my hands. You know, they say idle time is the devil's playground. So my dad didn't. He already know I get bored and hanging out with my friends. I can get into into whatever. So 
He took me to the gym, boxing gym. I don't know why he thought about the boxing gym out of all the things I could have been doing. But he thought about the boxing gym and uh, he took me there with a couple of my friends and um, I stayed and ended up doing it. And, you know, they left after a while. It was too hot, too much work for them. So they, they got out of it. They didn't have anybody push them. My dad pushed me in the gym and told me that because I wanted to stop because my friends stopped and, he was like, nah, you're not going to stop and make me keep going. And, um, you know, doing it six, seven days out the week becomes more natural to you. And it's, shit, for me, it's like using the bathroom is natural. It's, it's just the way of life for me now. How much is your pops loving this now? Like seeing all this come together as it has? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely loves it. My dad, like, my dad's like my shadow. You know, he's always with me, always you know, he might not talk a lot or, you know, just be in the forefront, but, you know, he's always right there on the side of me. So, you know, it's a dope feeling just having my dad there and just, you know, knowing that he's going to be there for my whole career. And um, he's been there since the beginning, and he's the one got me into it, and we're going to be going to ride it out to, to the wheels fall off. All right, man. So, so how is this fight going to go? Like, how you how do you see this going on the 29th? Um, I see it going, you know, he's definitely a great fighter, so he's definitely going to put up a great fight. He's going to come to fight. But I see me basically just breaking him down, beating him up, and, you know, hopefully getting a stoppage in the later round or me just battering him, beating him up throughout the fight and winning the fight. All right, man. That is Errol Spence. Check us out. July 29th, T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas on Showtime. Spence versus Crawford. My man, I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. No problem. All right. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Adi Khan, Parker Owens, and Dan Stancic handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, follow The Right Time. Rate us. Review us. Give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.